Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, the most uniquely named and originally titled podcast anywhere on the internet. I'm Sam Roberts, and this is the Wrestling Podcast. It's going to be an extended show this week. I read a lot of your feedback on Twitter, at NotSam, about whether or not I should have a state of wrestling podcast separate from the interview podcast, which is still something I'm considering, but it's very interesting. Uh, I had a six-minute, I believe it was about six minutes of the state of wrestling last week, and it led to huge, huge threads on the internet from people very upset that I'm a fan of WWE. Uh, hopefully I have a little time to get into that because I have a pal of mine who used to be a writer for WWE. His name's Court Bauer. Court is going to be joining me on this week's State of Wrestling, so it's going to be a very, very extended, very extended version of the State of Wrestling, almost like a second interview pretty much. But instead of doing just a Court Bauer podcast, I wanted to give you guys a little bonus. For those of you that have fallen in love with Sam Roberts and want to know everything going on in the world of Sam Roberts, I do a show on Sirius XM called Sam Roberts Show. It's not a wrestling show. It's a radio show. It's entertainment. Talk about everything, but every now and then wrestling seeps in because wrestling is a big part of my world. Uh, And in terms of friends of mine that make for good radio, a lot exists inside the wrestling world. One of those people is X-Pac. X-Pac is one of the most entertaining guests that a broadcaster can host on any show, whether it be a wrestling show, a a pop culture show, whatever show, any any show that's meant to entertain people, any show that's meant to have guests on that interest people in general, X-Pac is a fabulous guest for. I had X-Pac on my show on Friday on Sirius XM on the OB Radio channel for, I think it was an hour or so. It was a long time, but it went lightning fast, no pun intended, lightning kid. Uh, so I, I cut that down for you. I wanted to give you guys an abridged version of the X-Pac Sam Roberts show, Sirius XM, uh, uh, appearance. If you, if you want to hear the whole thing, you can get it on Sirius XM on demand. Again, it was, it was, it was a whole show in and of itself, but I wanted to make time for Court Bauer and just give you the, the meat, the wrestling meat as it were, as far as X-Pac's appearance on my Sirius XM show went. So here. My interview this week from my SiriusXM show, X-Pac. So go ahead and suck it. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. X-Pac's here. Taylor Strecker is here. Yup. Yup. From uh, Wake Up With Taylor on on Cosmo. Hi. How's it going? You know X-Pac? 
No. Hi. X-Pac, do you know Taylor? Taylor, nice to meet you. To meet you. So nice to meet you. Do you know any of X-Pac's history, Taylor? No, I don't. Please uh, do tell. No. Well, he doesn't. I mean, there's, 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 there's a long fucking story. There's a lot of it, but... I mean, X-Pac was part of a uh, sex tape with China okay, for a period okay. of time. He went through, there was a dark period in X-Pac's Very life. Dark. I didn't know there was meth involved, though. That seems oh, yeah. like really off the deep end. I brought, oh, it was to- ter- t- totally off the deep end. I brought the meth to the picnic and she brought the Coke. That was it. Right. That and was then, it. And uh, we were all doing whatever, A to the Z. Those are Xbox memories. Yeah. <laughs> but if you listen to her, she never did any of it. Just <laughs> just drunk. Just drink alcohol. <laughs> alcohol. Wasn't your memory, huh? No. No, not as much. Bit, we have a little bit different, <laughs> different versions of history there. I see. I see. Well, I mean, how do you get off meth? Um, you finally just become such a dirtball fucking loser that you... <laughs> You finally go, enough, and you tap out and go, okay, I'm ready to, you know, I'm ready to fucking pick myself up off the ground here and start heading back in the right direction. And be a person again. Yeah. Did you have people around you that were like, what are you doing? There's nothing anybody could have done. Really? Anyone. People tried to do the intervention shit. That stuff does not work. Except for for to save somebody's life. Like, if somebody's, like, going to die, like, right, you know, imminently. Right. It's, you know, you step in, but like usually if somebody's got means, if they still have money, shit like that, you can't, you know, somebody's got to fall flat on their ass a lot of time, most of the time for them to really wake up. So do you, I mean, is there any part that misses it or is it just a terrible experience? No, it's just a terrible experience at the time. It was really weird, man. Like there's a lot of crazy shit that went along with it and delusions and freaking uh, you know, hallucinations and psychotic shit. This is crazy. So you don't even know what reality is at that point. No. Like what kind of hallucinations are we talking about? Uh, aliens, UFOs, fucking ghosts, whatever. Just crazy shit. Like it was, and we were both seeing the same shit. So, huh. so yeah. there's somebody Imagine with you that. going like, no, 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 yeah. Pac, you're right. You're right. Exactly. Right. There's an alien right there. <laughs> And plus, you're, we're in L.A., so, I mean, it's already crazy enough as it is. Right. There. I mean, like, half the homeless people are on meth. Yeah. So they're going out like, no, I see it, too. Yeah. Like, it's everybody scored, else's problem, I not mine. I scored something off a homeless person one time. You scored meth off a homeless dude. So you think it was meth. You've no I idea met him on the street. Yeah. Jesus. Boy, I'm really painting a terrible picture of myself that considering was... <laughs> how great I'm doing these days. By the way, I'm going to say this. That was years ago. Yeah. And I, was, uh, I traveled to WrestleMania last year. With X-Pac. Yeah. He's in a great place. Good. Yeah. He couldn't, he was just, we were just hanging out. Everything was cool all weekend. No weirdness, no drugs. No, no pot. I mean, sure. <laughs> Come on. Not a little. <laughs> <laughs> there was a moment where I was like, I was thinking back to myself uh, about me as like a, like a 10 year old. Yeah. Going like. I'm sitting here, and, and the one, two, three kid is smoking pot in front of me right now. This might be one of these great <laughs> life moments. <laughs> like, I never thought this would happen. Wow. You never thought it, you'd see me smoking pot? Not when I was 10. Oh, okay. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so do you find it difficult, though? Like Because most people, when they go sober, they go sober, sober. No, not most, actually. No? No. I think that's bullshit. Yeah. You do? Yeah, I do. I don't think people really do that. The they ones say they that, do it. Yeah, exactly. oh. yeah. that, that, and then there's the ones that do stick with, like, the 12-step deal. Right. But that just, you know, I'm just going to be, it's a good program for the people that can make it work. That. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it just, 
the reality is, is, you know, there's a lot of people that it doesn't work for. And, you know, there's also something called uh, harm reduction. What's harm reduction? It's just like if you're going to get fucked up, do it safely, like, you know, to where you're not out driving or, right. you know, just, I mean, you do the best you can to, uh, you know. Right. But. Did you try my, the 12 steps? I, yeah, I did. And it just I did not it, work. It, no, no, huh. no. I'm just so strong willed. Like, I, I refuse to surrender. I <laughs> you're refuse. Too stubborn. I can't get past the first step, which is to admit you're powerless. <sighs> if you admit you're powerless, like, in my brain, it's like, then you are powerless. Like, so. I mean, it, I'm not trying to knock the program. Though. No, no, no. It just didn't work for you exactly. because because like so you're motivated. So, yeah. That's why. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. He's way too stubborn for it. It's yeah. like more flaws. Really, and, the, and, the, and the, the the more intelligent you are, like the a lot of times the, the harder it is to get clean because you're always questioning everything. You're always picking everything apart, overanalyzing yeah, everything. I can see that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you do kind of have to just give up to it. Like I'm just whatever this th- whatever you say, I'll do. Sure. And like if you're somebody who just questions everything. Like, I don't know if you're right, though. And, exactly. and, but they're saying, well, you're, you're the guy who was on meth, so you have to listen to me. I was the guy like, that, that was at treatment posting up signs that said, uh, AA is a cult. Okay, I was just going to say, I kind of think it's cultish. It is. It, 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 I mean, and the, 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 uh, the intention is well Good. meaning. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. And it does look, help people. Yes, it's great. But if you look at all the criteria they use to... Um, to determine what uh, what a cult is, they, right. they hit every one of them. Mm-hmm. Which is the same thing as religion, really. More or less. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, really organized religion, yeah, going absolutely. to church and everything. Taylor Strecker is here, one of my favorite people. Another one of my favorite people, X-Pac, is here. We go to David in Atlanta. What's up, David? Hey, Sam. How you doing? I love the show. Thanks, pal. Yeah, I wanted to ask X-Pac if he ever sucked dick for meth. It's a a good question. That's a good question. No. You didn't. No. Good for you. Not not even China's? (laughs) You know, hey, look. You know, she just has a big clitoris. It's not a, it's not a penis. You know, it girl. actually is a penis. It's an unformed penis. Is it? What? Yep. All right. Maybe I China specifically. Maybe I kind of did. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to keep it 100? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good for her. She's a big clitoris. Actually, That's like, nice. I saw it works a lot better the bigger it is. Yeah, so exactly. I know that much. It's easier to find, too. Um, yeah. But it, it's True. the. I noticed that the crackheads, for some reason, will go to the, a lot greater lengths to get their drug than, than the meth heads. So because the crack, you go, it goes up and down real quick, and you need a fix it. Oh. And the meth lasts a long time. How long does meth last? Fuck, man, it can last for a couple of days sometimes. Oh, shit. shit. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Do you ever, like, it's like stop, want it to end? No, you, you, you actually... Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, like no I go more. into a panic attack. Actually, yeah. like, in about a week, depending on... How you know a week or give or take a few days, um, your body just shuts down. You finally just go to sleep. So you're not sleeping for a week. Yeah. But are, are you, you like I want to sleep? That's, no, no, I'm not. You're I, having I'm, a blast. What do you do? No, for a I'm week? not having a blast. I'm like in this crazy, whacked out. Like, what do you do uh, for a week? Stare at it like blank computer, like a computer. Sc- I, I remember one time I was standing up for so so long. 
so many days. Steve Blackman lived with me out in L.A., and he was out of town. The lethal came, weapon. Thank God he came back into town. He probably saved my life because I had been standing there probably like two or three days. Holy my shit. My fucking feet were all swollen up, and they're my my boot, my cowboy boots I was wearing were busted on the stop, sides. Stop! You yeah. bust, your feet busted through your shoes. Yeah, no, I swear to God. Wait, how, I'm not bullshit. How I'm skinny not, did you get? That's what I really want. That's what I care really about. Really sucked up, really bad. Oh, I want to be. I want to be meth skinny. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking disgusting. So you're sitting there going. So there are positives. You're yeah. saying. <laughs> now you're talking me into it. You were standing for like two or three days. Yeah. What do you have any recollection of what was going on in your head? Um. While you were standing. Kind of, but it's a, you know, man, it's pretty dark. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. God damn. It's really hard. Like, I mean, it's probably disturbing for people to listen to here. So you just go, do you just do meth just to escape everything? Like you're just looking for an escape? Because it sounds like it's not terribly pleasant. Yeah. And the way I was doing it was just the worst. How are you doing it? No. Injection. Yeah. No. The, yeah. That is intervention shit. Yeah, but you my favorite show. You couldn't. I still. I had. A, I still had plenty of money to spend on drugs. So. Oh and God. I mean, you're living this lifestyle where, you know, I mean, still to this day, but even more so back then, as a wrestler, all you have to do is get booked on a show, and you can easily do I that. I missed. I. I. As soon as I missed like the third show. Yeah. I just stopped booking. I stopped wrestling. Because you didn't want that reputation. Well, I'd already fucked. I had already fucked three promoters over mm-hmm. uh, not purposely mm-hmm. but nonetheless they still their main event didn't show up for the fucking show right because you're sitting there going i'm booked for a wrestling show and i could not i was so fucking whacked out i'm I standing even, looking at a wall yeah, instead of going move, and i couldn't get up to i couldn't i i was so sped up i was like frozen wow like do you remember that robert de niro movie uh was it de niro? meet the parents no wait awakening oh where wherever like everybody was like kind of froze like never mind sorry, it's a really, <laughs> you don't want to go back it's a there really f- fucking obscure reference sorry so did it did was it a lot of it was wwe money sure still like that it that it, you'd yeah. just been able to save yeah of course did you blow through all of it quite a yeah how much how much did you blow through millions yeah. millions of dollars millions. on mess no 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 it wasn't like that actually when the when when the 9-11 happened yeah the stock market took a big shit. I just started making all that money, and I just put a huge chunk of it. I lost oh. like close to a million dollars just on that. In the stock oh my market. God, yeah. I wish I was able to lose close to a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. well, I wasn't able to, but I did anyways. <laughs> and I didn't lose it. I know exactly where it went. Yeah. That's one of those things that you do once, yeah. and you don't get a chance to do it again. No. I'm, I'm getting there? I'm, yes. Absolutely. Man, oh, man. Well, yeah, I mean, now that's how I know you're doing better now is because you're on shows all the time. And you're showing up and you're there and, like, blah, blah, yeah. blah. What did you – what about – what happened with your family when you were going through the meth? I, I, I left. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the best the possible thing crazy. you could do for them. Yeah, and I stayed away. Like, I thought I was going to die. Like, you I did. gave I gave the, their mother every well, everything, like the house, everything, because uh-huh. I thought I was going to be fucking – dead within a few months god damn was that kind of your plan was it suicidal no, a plan like not a you know well the suicide thing came a few mm-hmm. years later yeah huh? but google me sometime <laughs> <laughs> there was there was there was a suicide attempt towards I, the end yeah, of that dark like period a really Aww. close one i hung myself from what? the roof of my apartment in mexico city yeah. Did, 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 it didn't work, obviously. obviously. No, he's actually speaking to us from beyond I, the grave right now. Yeah. No, actually, I smoke meth and I'm hallucinating. <laughs> I, was technically, I was technically dead, but... Shut the yeah. fuck up. 
Yeah, but you know, I mean, I, my my girl came up and found me and unhung me. I don't know how the fuck she even. She, she, you know what? Sometimes, if, like, if a mother yeah. is with her child and they're like under a car, they will lift a car up with one hand. It's right. like this adrenaline. Human adrenaline. Yeah. And she kept me because it took forty five minutes, according to her, for the ambulance to get there. Oh my god! What? So she's like, oh, it's Mexico City. It's a Mexican CPR. ambulance. Yeah, <laughs> it's not that great American. <laughs> There's forty million system. people there, man. It's like the, the the most congested city in the world. Damn. Way, way worse. This is not. Nothing compared to Mexico City. Oof. Fucking A. Yeah. But, um, so, like, my eyeballs were all fucking blood. Like, if you looked at my eyes, they were completely blood red. Like, people couldn't even look me in the face, you know, in the eyes. Like, they would get all creeped out. So then do you want to, like, go up to people now and say, do you have any idea how much credit I should get for just standing here with you? Like, right. just for me being in the room with you of sound body and mind, do you know the shit that I've been through? Well, that's just like it's not my style. I, I'm like, I think it's okay if somebody else toots your horn, but if you toot your own horn, it's kind of fucking lame, you know? Yeah, that's true. Tell her about uh, the most famous, I guess, Bronco Buster. Yeah. So, just to make a long story short, guy moves out of the way. Uh huh. And he avoids I, the Bronco Buster, yeah, Taylor. Okay. Which I've done a, a million times and not gonna hurt. I did hurt my. I did have a similar injury a couple years before this, but. You know, I didn't think it would. That the chances of it happening again were astronomical. Astronomical. Yeah. So it's a pun. Did I, he I, tear his taint? I literally <laughs> tore my asshole <laughs> to where I almost bled out, and I had to have emergency surgery called a. Uh, uh, what the fuck? Uh, I don't know what it's called. Asshole. No. Romita. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fuck. Why am I having? Well, I know why I'm having a hard time remembering. Why? Because uh, smoking too much. Because <laughs> he smokes too much pot. <laughs> Taylor, what? you're talking about a guy. You just learned number one, he almost died when he was on meth. Number yes. two, he almost died when he committed suicide. Yes. Number three, he almost bled to death from the asshole yeah. because of the tearing. And, and, Impressive. and I almost, like, <laughs> they weren't sure whether I was going to have to have a colostomy bag or not. Oh my God, Forever? for life? Yeah. Oh, so that would what, be really what bad. exactly happened? So your asshole just completely. Yeah, man. How does that happen? Uh, here's what happened. When the guy moved out of the way, I came in, like, too horizontal instead yeah. of at, like, 45-degree angle. Uh-huh. And there was no cover over the turnbuckle. And so when the guy moved, oh I came in, God, and, I the, and the threads of the turnbuckle oh. ripped my asshole. Oh. Yeah. And uh, and you can see, if you look at, there's the video right there. You can see me grab my ass and go, I tore my asshole. And then I get whacked in the back of the fucking head with, I don't know what, some kind of a pan or something. Oh so you knew this was Ten more minutes. What? Ten more minutes. I took a bump up the top rope onto my ass. I went through a table on my ass again. So oh I, must, my God. I must really have it out for my ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate my ass, people. Did the back of your tights turn red? Yeah, right? Uh, well, actually, my tights are kind of have some some of that uh, that rubber. You can see like that fucking. Uh-huh, yeah, 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 like this. Yeah. So like it my, held it in. I could. It, it wow. held the blood in. When I got back to my room, like I, st- I went to the after party. Actually, still in my tights. No, 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 no. Yeah, still in my what tights. A bleeding asshole. Well, it, it held. It held all the blood in. Why would you go to the after party? I started feeling the blood come down my leg, and oh I said, my God. "I got to get the fuck out of here." <laughs> I went back to my room. I went back to my room. I went to take, pull my pants down, and fucking all of a sudden, boom! The whole bathroom looked like a fucking murder scene. Oh my god! Because you basically and then you I had start- a cork. In this thing yes. that was just pouring yeah. water for hours now. Oh. Yeah. And you just took the cork out. Yeah, and then I started getting dizzy, and I started getting lightheaded, and I'm going, oh, fuck. 
I got to call, I got to call 911 because if I don't fucking get this call out, I'm going to pass out and fucking die. Oh my That's God. the only thing I could think because the blood just so, was not fucking stopping. Let man. me ask you, when you first know you, because you knew you tore, you tore your asshole. I knew it. In the beginning. You said it. <laughs> yes. In the ring. So do you think to yourself, oh, it's probably just like a little tear. Do you think I could I still make me, the party? I, I had faith that maybe the Lord healed it. Oh, you were like, yeah, my asshole was torn at one point, yeah. but Jesus took the wheel on this one. He had my back. That was a terrible fucking joke. It wasn't, the, the delivery was awful. I apologize <laughs> for that. So you just thought, well, I'm sure everything's fine. Well, I didn't Did even your think asshole about it, hurt? man. It was Jerry Lynn's retirement, one of my best friends like that I started with. Yeah. And it was also the retirement of, my ma- asshole. Uh, yeah, your life. From <laughs> yeah. You, can you imagine <laughs> if. Sean Waltman, X-Pac, one, two, three, kid. After all the suicide attempt and the meth and the drugs and the China and all this stuff, the way you go out is you bleed to death from the asshole. Oh, my sure. God. And that was because you didn't want to miss Jerry Lynn's retirement party. Yeah. <laughs> so when you were injecting meth yes. and getting it from homeless guy, like. That was just one time. Getting it from, but did you get a needle from him? No. Oh, I don't know. Did you always use clean needles? Um, I never shared any. Good. I reused some. Of your own. On your own. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you were only giving back to you whatever you had from the beginning. Right. Well, no, because I ended up with hepatitis C. From the needles? Shit. Oh, I forgot to tell you that. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're becoming best friends. Well, I don't know. I assume. Like, I mean, that's another thing. Like, so you just all walked the out of a... All the criteria for, like... How you get that? Yeah, I fucking hit bad a hundred, bad a thousand on that too. So, so it could have been sexual. It could have been needles. No, it could sexual. Have... That, that doesn't. That, it doesn't that's happen. That's a fucking myth. It doesn't happen that way unless okay. it's really kinky, fucking whacked out sex. Well, like what kind of stuff? Like tr- conventional sex is not. That doesn't really happen. What's kinky? You know, shit, where it could make you bleed. When your asshole tears, are the wrestlers in the ring with you going like, we can't be around your asshole tearing? You no, have, I, well, have there seat. was no blood. Because it was yeah. stuck in but there. But when I worked with Terry Terry Funk on the House of Hardcore, his last match, uh-huh. it was Lance Storm and I versus Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer. Uh-huh. He hit me with a fucking ladder and split my head open, and it was at the end of the match, so I was like, fucking pin me, and I rolled out, you know? Because uh-huh. you know, you're, you're yeah. going to take responsibility for it. Yeah, of course. And, I, and you know, a lot. there's a lot of people out there that have it that just don't tell anybody. That's fucked up. Yeah, that's super fucked yeah. up. But, you know, I mean, they risk, I think they feel scared that they're going to get, you know, people are going to... Judge them. Yeah, or, you know, go, hey. Don't touch me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you just come out of a meth-induced haze after all these years and being like, I got to get checked for everything right now because yeah. there was some weird shit going on. Yeah. And, I mean, and my I, liver enzymes were elevated at the time, and I'm like, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, just put two and two together. Well, listen, dude, anytime you want to come up here and start telling stories or whatever, just come up to hang. You got the open invite. Thanks. Anytime you want to come I back. I enjoy it. That's, I was glad that I could come by and uh, things worked out. Yeah, for sure. You can get X-Pac at the real X-Pac on Twitter. Yes. Here is Sam Roberts. What an amazing dude is X-Pac. My friend Taylor did not know what to make of that guy. But X-Pac is one of the sweetest guys in this business. I mean, just a nice, nice man. He really is doing way better now. I've interacted with him many a times. He's doing way better now than he was uh, in some of the stories that he described. And I like that he tells these stories. He's not glorifying 
what happened in his past as much as he's just talking about his life experiences. And hopefully they'll help someone out there. If they'll help one person, then it's worth it to share the story. I mean, to me, it's worth it just because I find them entertaining. But if we're being good people, let's speak about it that way. Now, before I get to Court Bauer uh, for the uh, extended modified version of this week's state of wrestling. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on now, but the road to WrestleMania, we'll talk a lot more about next week on the podcast this week. I'm going to talk to court a little bit about what's going on right now, but also uh, about the life of a WWE writer, about his career specifically, about some of the people he interacted with. I just think it's such a unique experience to be a writer for WWE because you're truly a fly on the wall depending on when you work there, for some of the most historic moments in pro wrestling. So it's always really, really interesting to me to get the take from a guy like a writer, especially like Court Bauer, who was around for a long time and a big part of a lot of storylines and guys. But a couple of things. Uh, Raw this week ended very well. One concern. One concern. The Sting appearance, uh, I liked that way that it was a surprise. I like that they didn't advertise it. I, I like that you didn't see it coming. I thought when the when the authority came out and there was that swerve that they'd been working together that it was kind of like, okay, so what's the big deal? Once Sting comes out, I go, okay, that is a big deal. I'm petrified that he's going to wrestle in a t-shirt. Sting, if you're listening to this, and I know you are, do not wrestle in a t-shirt. Please, please do as many push-ups between now and... And next Sunday, as humanly possible, whatever you have to do, get your tank top to be way too tight so it just packs everything in. Whatever you have to do to make sure that you do not wrestle in a t-shirt at WrestleMania. Because that, I, to me, honestly, no matter how good that match is between Sting and Triple H, and I don't know. I don't know what kind of shape Sting is in. I know Triple H can still pull off a good match. We'll see if Sting can or not. Who knows? But even if it's a five-star match, if Sting does it in a t-shirt, it's going to immediately remove three stars. The most you can score in a t-shirt is two stars in a match. So we'll see. Genius move to make his first in-ring words heard on the WWE Network. Was what he said super important? No. But the fact that it was the first time you were hearing Sting in a WWE ring is what drives people to go see it. That's the, There should be exclusive WWE Network content all the time, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's stuff that you don't necessarily need to see in order to keep watching, in order to maintain an awareness of the storylines. But it is something that if you miss, you feel like, oh, man, I don't want to be away from that party. Ah, I don't want to be the one guy who didn't see what Sting said right away. I want to turn on the network immediately after Raw. Every week there should be something that drives people right to that network right after Raw. Uh, that, that's a, a gold money way to sell that network. If you're going to put forth the immense financial cost that it takes to keep that network live 24 hours a day, then yeah, you should have stuff like that that drives people to it. And I, I think that's exactly the right move. Now, last thing before we get Corp Bauer on the podcast, I was reading online. A lot of people think I'm a shill for WWE. This goes back to the Roman Reigns interview. Some people thought that Roman Reigns was sent on my podcast to turn heel. Obviously, he was not, as he is not 
a heel. I'm not exactly sure what he is right now, but he's certainly not a heel. Listen, I do not work for WWE. I am not a shill for WWE, but there is a big difference between a shill and a mark. (laughs) I am a mark for WWE. There is no doubt about it. I have a shelf full of wrestling toys that I'm looking at right now. You cannot argue that I am not a mark for WWE, and I always have been. And if I need to apologize for that, I will, but it's not something that I'm going to change. It's just it's, it's, it's who I am. Not only am I a mark for WWE, it's what I've grown up with. It's what I've always had faith in. It's my one – it's an escape for me. It's my, it's my one source of entertainment. I'm, I generally fall to the positive when it comes to WWE. But yes, as I've gotten older and as I've uh, progressed in my broadcasting career, I have met many people who work in many different departments of the WWE. And many people – have been very good to me. And there is a thing. I am not a journalist. So to question journalistic integrity is way off base. There is nothing. I am a wrestling fan who gets to talk to wrestlers, and I want a venue to put them on, so I started a podcast. That's it. I am in no way, shape, or form a journalist, so do not think of what I do in terms of journalistic integrity. Do think of it in terms of this is a dopey wrestling fan who's got access that he should not have. And so he's using it to share with us. That's what the podcast is all about. Um, But I don't mind a disagreement. And I think I am overly positive at times. Uh, So I I don't mind being called out on it. But uh, to call me a shill is to give me way too much credit. Way, way too much credit. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not, I, I don't do it for free tickets. I don't say good things about WWE for free tickets because that implies that what I really want to say is bad things. And if I wanted to say bad things about WWE, I wouldn't want tickets at all, free or paid for. So I don't say good things to get free tickets. I don't say good things to uh, uh, you know, get T-shirts or whatever. I say good things because I'm a mark for the product. And I happen to be a broadcaster, so I've uh, uh, fallen into some exposure. And I hope to to share that with you and to uh, provide as much of my journey and my funness that I get to participate in with you. And that's what this is all about. Speaking of fun, it's always a fun time when you get an inside look at what goes on behind the curtain in WWE. And that's why my pal Court Bauer is a part of this week's podcast. It's a modified version of the state of wrestling where we're going to talk about a little bit about what's going on right now, a little bit about the build to WrestleMania, but more uh, about the career of, of a WWE writer and about Court Bauer, which I think is very relevant to what's going on now. I mean, everybody's talking about Roman Reigns promos, and everybody's talking about things being too scripted, and everybody's talking about this and that. So I think hearing from a writer is a very relevant thing to hear from right now uh, in terms of the state of wrestling. So I say that in order to introduce... Uh, the guy who's going to be hanging out for the State of Wrestling this week. Ladies and gentlemen, he'll be promoting a show called Wale Mania, WrestleMania weekend, Thursday before WrestleMania in the San Jose area. Uh, Wale, very famous rapper, giant wrestling fan, will be there. Rey Mysterio Jr. will be there doing a meet and greet and a live interview. Uh, I think Wale Mania is going to be a blast, but he'll be helping to promote that, and he'll be out there doing a whole bunch of stuff that weekend. Here he is, Court Bauer. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. All right, this is kind of a 
an abridged version of the usual – not abridged. That's the wrong word. Mm. An, a, a modified version of the traditional state of wrestling because my pal Court Bauer is here. Court. Hey, man. We're here in the Westchester studios. Not bad. Yeah. Usually I do my like one man in a microphone stuff here right. and do most of the interviews in the city. There's not that many people. Josh Matthews has been here. There's only a small handful of people. Select few, huh? That have been able to see the real uh, nerd <laughs> heaven that is this, like, terrible hard rock of wrestling memorabilia. Oh, I mean, it. you are representing. You have, like, decades of WWE collectible figures, some of which I don't even know if I've ever even seen. I didn't even know if they were in the WWE. And, Did and you see that amazing. Blue Tista? Where's Bautista? Blue Tista. Oh, a, I thought he was like the one where he's getting booed and he's just sad. No, it's one where he's decked out completely oh, yeah, in look blue. At that. Oh my god, I thought that was Sin Cara without his mask on. I always wonder. <laughs> I always wonder what's going to happen when it's like you know everybody knows that the whole reason I'm doing this is because I'm a big fan. Right. But it's like once you come into my place, you start to really get the picture. Like I'm not bluffing. No, like, no. This is this is real the, life. This 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 shit's on. Yeah. Well, I mean, out here in Westchester, there's a lot of wrestling luminaries. You have Tommy Dreamer. Yeah. Paul Heyman. Yeah. Old school Freddie Blossie used yeah. to live around here. Um, Arnold Scotland. Yeah. Another one. Um, and a few other guys. Uh, you know who went to my high school? Hmm. He's not – I got some – because I was talking to Tommy Dreamer about the Westchester connection too. Right. And uh, technically I don't consider this guy one of the Westchester guys because he's not born and raised Westchester. But he mm-hmm. did graduate from New Rochelle High School. That's Devon Dudley. Did he really? Yes. Devon – he spent. He graduated from New Rochelle High School, and he spent a little time in New Rochelle, and then he ended up moving to Florida. Wow, I had no idea he was a New Row representative. Yeah, we were always very upset because when I was in high school, that's when right. ECW was really taking off. Right. We were always very upset that he didn't have a Wall of Fame plaque. Like Richard Roundtree from Shaft graduated <laughs> from the high school, so he was right. up there, but Devon did not get. Oh, man. Uh, and, and Joey Styles went to Iona, I think. Iona College, he did? Yeah, I think so. I didn't know that. I'll have to yeah. talk to Joey Styles about that. A Stanford resident, lifelong resident. But, yeah, I think he went to Iona. Huh. Well, listen, Court, for those of you that don't know Court Bauer, you spent how long as a writer for WWE? Too long. But uh, started around WrestleMania 21 and finished up in mid-summer of 2007, so about two and a half years. Two and a half years is a long time for a writer. Is that? It's like dog years. Like, what's like the, what's one year, seven years. What's the average amount of time that a writer stays on board? Like a few weeks. Really? I mean, the turnover when I was there was that. I mean, it was a few weeks, and they'd go on. Some of them were very successful people. They had done horror movies. They had done oh, – they'd been in the Four Horsemen. Like, Tully Blanchard, he lasted a few minutes on the job before he had a confrontation with JBL, <laughs> and that was it. Um, so he was a writer. Tully Blanchard. He was hired to be a writer, and he showed up first day on the job at Raw and crossed paths with JBL, and they had some history. Or I think JBL had history via Bobby Duncombe Jr., and on his behalf uh, had a confrontation with Tully um, about something that had gone down probably 15 years earlier. And <laughs> Tully walked off the job like, yeah, I'm not doing this. This is crazy. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it was you had all types of people. You had Dusty Rhodes in there. You had horror film writers. I mean, just like you had comic book writers. You had guys who were very talented. Some guys that, like, we had a guy that was there that had done, like, 
Beverly Hills 90210, Chips. I mean, it was just like – it was an eclectic – Chips. Yeah, Chips. We had a – I mean, the age demographic were like early 20s to like 70 at one point. I mean – There was a 70-year-old writer. Well, he might – maybe 65, but 63. Still, but he was old, dude. He was retirement age, and yeah. this is not like the, uh, you know, I'm just going to get a job to keep me busy type of job. Yeah, he quit when Stephanie told him he had to drive from St. Louis to like – Kansas City, which is like a five-hour drive, and it's a tough drive for anyone at any age. And he's like, right. "Yeah, I'm going back to Santa Monica. Fuck you. Yeah, I'm go- I'm gone." Uh, and I got that. I mean, this guy was an EP on major shows, made major money. I don't know why he was doing it now. Maybe he needed money, or he just was curious about it. But yeah, is it the type of job that generally? What percentage of people get it? Because they're successful in the industry somehow, and they're just wrestling fans, and they want to see what it's like. Um. It depends on who's doing the recruiting. You yeah. know, if if you have a wrestling background um, and the person that's putting the good word for you um, is is working it, uh, that, that helps. Like for me, I went in there and downplayed my wrestling background. I started in 1998 under the Wild Samoans, and I tried to downplay as much as my wrestling. wrestling. Yeah. I talked about what I had done in writing and, and TV and film and stuff, which was limited, but still I felt – they look for writers. They don't want a young guy that's been, you know, doing indies or doing stuff. That's not going to appeal to them. That's that they want to. Play. I was playing it to the Hollywood end, and I and it worked. But is it a lot of people though that are working in the Hollywood industry? I should say, like like writers for TV shows or people that have done other stuff that don't. That this isn't a job that they need, but it's just they've been whatever writing for yeah, a sitcom or maybe a, TV a bucket show list or, thing. Or yeah, something. exactly. And some of them, yeah, I like think, a Freddie Prince Jr. situation. Yeah, I, I think for some of them, it's like let me try it. Let me do it for a few months. Okay, I got my fill. I'm out. Um, very few guys that go in there last very long because it's it's a very intense job. I mean, it's a fun job. It's a crazy job. It can be a grueling, tedious job. It's a 24 seven job. You can't just go in and put in your work and then leave. You're living, breathing this. We would have. Meetings on Thanksgiving morning, Christmas Eve. Um, I was called back to the office uh, when my grandmother was on her deathbed because there was some PR issue that some, for some reason the writing team had to be involved with over the Benoit family tragedy. So I was what like – I mean I don't understand. Isn't the writing team just – Writers, right. TV writers, right. not like press release writers. Yeah, not- but you also in a weird way have this – bizarre obligation to be the central nervous system which is great in terms of experience and i loved it because it was like going to harvard to get your mba in wrestling so we were hands-on in licensing branding creating new concepts for tv you are part of that support team the inner circle for vince so wherever you're needed you apparently are there so we were basically there for some sort of support for damage control and i'm thinking to myself you have the money the resources the wherewithal why not hire a damage control firm to handle this crisis because we're a bunch of dudes that just are writing fake shit, not right. you know dealing with real but shit. Is it is it sort of like Vince has hired you guys to act as a creative part of his brain? Like so yeah. he does. So oh, he sees that as well. Whatever I need my brain for, mm-hmm. this group of guys or this group of people is hired to be a part of my brain. Yeah, we are we are a tool at his disposal, and we are we were definitely tools in a lot of situations. <laughs> just like okay, really. But, um, yeah, you're on call 24-7, and you have conference calls all the time. You're the – a lot of the times the first guys to the arena, last to leave, outside of, like, the people that are putting up the lighting and the crew there. But on the on the executive level, yeah, you're putting in a lot of hours, and the pay varies. It can go from, like, assistants making peanuts and getting paid by the hour, which they make a good fortune because they're 
putting in a lot of time. Right. But then you got guys that you you know would be in deep into the six figures. It all depended on the deal you cut. There was no like everyone starts at this rate and it goes up from there. No, it was all over the place depending on who it was. And, and I would imagine there's no like for you, mm-hmm. you cut your deal when you get there, and it couldn't have been. I mean, I'm sure it was fine, but it couldn't have been a high six figure thing because. You hadn't done anything major before that, right? Right. It, like it all varied. Like my deal was fine, um, and I had I had known people that wouldn't ask for raises that were head writers, and they started as assistants, and so their pay was very low. It was lower than mine. Wow. And I'm like, well, after a certain point in time, you actually have to say, yeah, I, I'm putting a lot more time than anticipated. I need a raise to stay here. Because it sounds like the type of place where you're brought on and paid based on what you've done before, but then once you're there. Mm-hmm. Seems very difficult to prove. No, no, no. You need me, right? Because it seems like you know Vince, Triple H, whoever it is, is going to sit there and say, "Well, no, I don't need anybody. It's just, this is me." Well, the funny thing is, like Vince tends to be drawn towards people that feel like they don't need Vince or WWE, and he'll say, "Well, wait, let me let's sweeten the deal." And I get that. Look at ask Brock Lesnar about that. Ask. Anyone that's left and they've come back and, you know, he's, they put together a sweetheart deal for most of those guys. It's so Rock, funny. Oh. That's not just WWE, I don't think. I think that – I don't know if it's media companies in general because obviously all my experiences have right. been with media companies. But, I mean, companies in general, when you have bosses, I feel like their their job is to put on something that's supposed to be cool. Wrestling, whatever you put on TV should be cool. Right. And, you know, whether it's a radio company or whatever, those guys – tend to treat it like one would treat a woman in the mm-hmm. sense that when you find out a girl is super into you, all of a sudden this girl that is just as hot but not into you, you're like, yeah, I kind of want that challenge. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's all about the pursuit, and Vince wants things, especially toys, that he can't have. So when it comes to talent, you know, that's something that he really treasures. And so if you, he, if you push back, he's going to want you more. Now, if it gets a little bit more complicated and there's history, like with a Hulk Hogan, then it's a different ballgame altogether. Yeah. But with, you know, I saw it with writers. You know, if they felt like, listen, I'm over this, I'm out, they would roll out the red carpet for those writers. If you had something else cooking, they would really try to keep you because that means you're hot. The perception becomes reality. Right. But you can't just say, I've had enough. Like, you have to have that other thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if they you call your just, bluff. Right. Yeah. You can't just say, I've had enough. And they're like, yeah. all right, so, so go then. You have yeah. nothing else going on. I mean, then that's like, I remember feeling like, listen, I, I, when I was leaving, I was like, I really don't, I'm not looking to stay. So it's like, I remember talking with like the UFC and the guys over there, they just bought World Extreme Cage Fighting. And I'm like, man, I want to make that leap because I love jiu-jitsu i love mma and i'm like is that when you find out that ufc is not fake <laughs> no 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 <laughs> i got this great thing i want to do with chuck liddell okay here's what i'm thinking he puts his hair on the line <laughs> mohawk on the line <laughs> yeah. match i mean it's amazing too because mma is like basically like a distant co- cousin of wrestling the the, the culture is radically different at the corporate level and in the gyms and stuff but it's very similar, and when I was leaving, it was 07, when it's like UFC was just exploding. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm jumping to the hotter thing. And I was also at WWE when they were considering acquiring Pride Fighting Championship, which was a unique thing. That was going to be Shane McMahon's castle within that kingdom. Because huh. he wanted it and saw, like, endless potential. Because Pride was like pro wrestling, if you watch it. It was like pro wrestling just happened to be real. Right. Some of the fights, they're a little sketchy on how authentic they were. <laughs> but he saw that as his castle in the kingdom. Stephanie was getting WWE, but this was going to be his castle. And at the end of the day, Vince was like, you can't 
manipulate the outcome of the fights, you're retroactively booking it mm-hmm. and marketing it. So you're kind of dealt the fate, whatever you have with a fight, and then you have to figure out how to build that guy. And he's like, I'm in the business of building my next wave of superstars. I don't want to, I want to be able to control who wins and loses. I've and, always thought that's the flaw with UFC. Right. That they've built up all these guys over time. Like, I mean, Randy Couture, and, and that's obviously been effective because he's a legend. But, right. you know, like we said, like Chuck Liddell, Rampage Jackson, all these guys that in that era you were building up as kind of the superstars, as you would call them in right. wrestling, they start to lose fights towards yeah. their late 30s. And yeah. what happened to my superstars? Now i got to try to build this guy when, you know, it's, it's just – it's a whole different philosophy, I think, with the audience. Yeah, and you look at like Ronda Rousey, who I think could cross over to WWE one day, maybe. But mm-hmm. like you only can see her fight two, three times a year. Right. And that's their that's – the, that's your only shot with her. But there's also be something said about overexposure in wrestling, which right now, it's really a problem, especially with WWE. Three hours every Monday night. How much, how big of a difference is that? Because people criticize Raw now, especially with the three hours thing. Mm-hmm. You were there when you were writing two hours. Yes. How big of a difference do you think it would be if they one day came to you and said, we need to add an extra hour every week? It's not impossible, but it has to do with talent depth. It has to do with... How is this show laid out week to week? And I almost feel like that third hour, you have to really – I mean, listen. The reality is they've had the same format for Raw since 1995, 1996. Mm-hmm. That's a long time in wrestling. That's a long, it's a long time. time in anything. Right. It's two decades where you haven't touched the format. Yeah. And every angle set up with a backstage interview that's interrupted. There's an authority figure that makes the matches and casts all types of doom for the babyface. And they always open with a monologue by a wrestler, and there's an invisible wall between the guy on by the entranceway and the guy in the ring, and he's politely listening as the other guy makes about 15 minutes of topics and points, and then they lead to someone crashing it and making a match for that night or a pay-per-view. They haven't changed that format in two decades. <laughs> right there, that's problem number one with our three-hour format. It's like it's an old format, and now you're trying to stretch out another 60, 70 minutes? Yeah. That's a lot. You've got to like, consider blowing this up and figuring out how you can build the show. So by 11, 11.05, it's blowing up big. And it's like, I don't know if that first hour is like, quote unquote, prelim matches or something that's a little bit different how you position it. But three hours is a long time to just elongate a two hour show. And it did seem like, it seems like now and for the past several years, that Raw kind of week to week revolves around one, maybe two stories. And that's right. kind of it. Whereas, like, 15 years ago, you would have little stories interspersed throughout. It seemed like there was right. something going on with every character as opposed to – I mean, maybe you see that a little bit, but it's not, you know, rich right. storytelling going into every segment. Oh, I mean, look at the mid-card. They mattered. Back then, you had a ladder to climb, you know? It's all about the journey of a wrestler. You look at Bret Hart, summer of 91. He broke off from the Hart Foundation. Started taking on guys the whole summer, ranging from the barbarian and warlords of the world to smaller guys, and had all these good matches and climbed the ladder to the Intercontinental title. He had a competitive match, won the title, then climbed the ladder over the next year to the world title. And you saw the ascension. You saw the logical movement from breaking off and starting from the bottom and moving all the way up. That's been now that's disjointed. There is no real climb of the ladder. Daniel Bryan won the title. And now he's going for the Intercontinental title. Like, right. What happened? You know? Right. And that's, that's the question I've asked, too. When do you think – it seems like uh, like when we were growing up, say, right. 20 years ago, all the planning and the thinking was kind of long-term planning mm-hmm. and thinking. Whereas now, 
it's pretty obviously week to week thinking. It's impulsive as hell. Yeah. When do you think, and why do you think that changed? Is it is it reflective of the culture in the sense that it's kind of people see things coming now, and social media makes it so that one person can can influence a lot more people? Is it just a difference in psychology and strictly WWE? Well, I think it's a few things. Vince is a great, brilliant, best ever promoter in the history of pro wrestling. He's a marketing genius. He is, as an executive, the best wrestling executive. He's the one in a million that's tried this and actually made it a huge success. But he's not a good booker. He surrounds himself at his height with great bookers. Pat Patterson at his peak. Uh, Jim Ross, Jim Cornette, Vince Russo, Ed Farrar in the Attitude Era. That was his writing team, his, his creative circle then. And when he surrounds himself with a circle that isn't good and he now believes that he's a lot to, he has a lot to do with the booking of this and he's micromanaging the booking and doesn't have the confidence in that mm. team, he's in the driver's seat and it's too much. He doesn't he, – it's too much. And also I think he's second-guessing himself, which is why we see all these impulsive different decisions every week. And once a guy like that – any booker, I was always taught, once you – start second-guessing yourself, it's a slippery slope because then you start second-guessing everything. Right. And you look from week to week, it's impulsive. Look at Brock Lesnar, Undertaker, WrestleMania 30. 48 hours out, 24 hours out, he decides a new guy's going over who only has 12 months left on his contract. And you're going to cash in a two-decade-long investment on a guy that's only committed for 12 more months and you did not cut a new deal for that guy. Mm-hmm. There's something really wrong with that equation. And even if it's so, okay... Worst case scenario, at the end of the 12 months, we'll use that to get somebody else over. But you're in a situation where that's right. becoming very, very difficult with the way Roman Reigns has been. And that was another impulsive decision. Let's break up the shield just as they're about to blow up as a trio babyface version of the Road Warriors. Mm-hmm. You could have had the summer of 2014, the shield just dominating, crushing all you know the Wyatts and all these other heels and gone into maybe the Royal Rumble 2015 and started that, you know, where they eliminate each other or whatever and, and start that for 2015. They left a lot of money on the table by that impulsive move to turn them when they were just about to take off to another level and be a true top act. And, and, and that would have given Roman Reigns more time to mature, develop, and not be – I mean, his ascension is one that isn't organic. Right. It, it's force. And John Cena's comparatively in, 20, in WrestleMania 21 – the prior, year prior, he was going for the U.S. title against Big Show at WrestleMania 20. And you could see that ladder was still in place. He was climbing. He was won the U.S. title. Mission accomplished for a year. He then traveled and climbed the ladder to the world title or WWE championship. And now Roman Reigns has gone from breaking up in part of a trio as of last summer to taking off a substantial amount of time, come back, win the Royal Rumble. And now he's going for – and with The Rock and all that convoluted stuff. And now he's chasing the WWE championship it's too much too soon, and once you the, – there's so much money in the chase, right, the first yeah. chase. But once you pop that cherry, you, it's just never sweet the second time around for the chase. The money isn't there. So once they do this, man, it's a disservice to Roman Reigns to do it like this. So what do you think? Because my opinion is that you can't alter the main event like you did last year right. because I think it gives too much power mm-hmm. – to the audience. I think the audience needs to, on some level, feel like they can trust what's going on. We have to manipulate them. With the organ- That's that you need to spend some time making people like Roman Reigns and giving them a reason to like right. Roman Reigns. I mean, my, I feel like the only possible scenario is to have Roman Reigns go out there the way Paul Heyman has geniusly been kind of giving you every reason to like Brock Lesnar mm-hmm. and giving you every reason why Brock Lesnar is going to win. 
why not have Roman Reigns come out and remind us why we shouldn't like Brock Lesnar, <laughs> right. why Brock Lesnar isn't like any of us. Right. Well, it's funny. You look at Heyman and you look at Brock, they've become the de facto anti-authority baby faces that have been missing from the company since Punk was there, but really since Stone Cold and Rock were there. And Brock has an issue. He walks out on Vince. Says, Fuck you. Goes to the UFC, rubs it in his face. Paul Heyman cuts a huge babyface promo, references taboo subjects like the UFC and merging the titles and walking out here with the championship and Montreal and all that stuff. And he's a babyface. And I'm looking at this, these two. I'm like, dude, this is the most appealing babyface act you have and right. will have for the next few years. This is when you sign a guy like this to two- to three-year deal. He's your bridge to the next generation. Keep the belt on him. Mm-hmm. And Paul Heyman, who was at that point where he's that legendary status, where Ric Flair got to about 50, like Heyman is now. And you're like, I love what you're doing. I'm playing along and booing you, but I really love what you're doing. Right. I'll, really follow, I'll do whatever you want yeah, me to do. I'll yeah, do it for yeah. you. Yeah, and it's like I think there's money in Paul as a babyface, not like rah-rah babyface, just the same guy he is, just a slight adjustment. Because uh-huh. these guys are both authentic, which WWE is in dire need of. They're built and ready to go now. Brock is a badass, anti-authority babyface. Ka-ching, ka-ching. The audience always loves that, and they haven't had it. You're gifted with it. Go for it. But they almost, but it feels like they won't commit to the authority being a heel because right. because they want it, – it, well, it's gotten really weird because I don't think they'll commit to the authority. The, the storyline authority is mm-hmm. a heel. The Triple H, Stephanie faction, those are heels. Mm-hmm. But they won't commit to the anti-authority, real anti-authority, being a true – baby face right now because then they start drifting more towards well it's, you know it's family friendly you don't want to curse out your teacher or whatever yeah i think you can you can you can push back without having to you know give the austin one finger salute right um i think their product is at its best when it's got a little bit of defiance in it i'm not yeah. saying go vulgar i'm not saying do all the things you saw in the attitude era but there's definitely a counterculture component to wrestling fans look at cm punk i mean it was very organic with what happened there with him, and they loved him at Money in the Bank. It's when you blend reality with this weird, warped world of wrestling, and people love that. They loved it with the NWO. They loved it when DX would talk about taboo things. And when CM Punk went, was going to leave with the belt, that was awesome. And here you have Brock Lesnar. He's awesome. He's real. It's, mm-hmm. it's so obvious, and fans always are going to go and gravitate towards that. What do you think of the, of the Triple H Sting match? Because – I'm it's, I, I'm excited to see Sting in a WWE ring. Yeah. I think everybody's excited to see that. But um, aside from the bill being a little slow because Sting hasn't been on TV, mm-hmm. to me it's very strange that for the first time the WWE in the WWE versus WCW battle is the heel. Sting yeah. is very obviously the good guy, and we've kind of been trained as fans by WWE – WWE was always on the right side. Right. WWE was always eventually going to win. You know, right. you watch the Monday Night Wars documentary, right. and WCW was always the one doing the underhanded stuff. And WCW was the one who didn't know what they were doing and, and didn't know how to utilize their talent. And but now we're like, okay, I get that this is a WWE versus WCW battle, but why are we cheering WCW? And the funny thing is, that was 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. How many fans were even born that watched today? I mean, maybe a quarter of those fans weren't around right. when they went out of business in right. 2001. It's it's conceivable. That was 14 years ago. Um, a lot of fans were. Uh, a lot of fans don't care anymore. It's it's a lot to build a feud off of. Uh, but you know, we'll see what Sting has in terms of juice at WrestleMania. I think 
Hunter typically is only he really like his biggest influence was Ric Flair, who was a chameleon who could adapt to any opponent and work around their offense, whether they were limited or brilliant. And Hunter is not like that. You look at the Scott Steiner Royal Rumble match years ago. You look at the Booker T WrestleMania match. You look at a lot of his matches and a Randy Orton WrestleMania match where it was just a slow plotting match. He's got um, a very deliberate style Mm -hmm. and he doesn't conform to his opponents. And because of that, you're only as good as your opponents. And that's going to be interesting at WrestleMania because that stings going to be stuck in a box and that's his. That's all he's got to play with. It is interesting that you said that because you could definitely perceive that about Ric Flair. But like Bret Hart, for instance, mm-hmm. in his book said Ric Flair only ever wrestled one match. Yeah, and but, you ha- and, and yeah. Bret said he always felt like he had to conform to Rick's match. He always hated. He said, uh, "Yeah, wrestling Ric Flair because he point. had to conform to Rick's one match." Yeah, I mean, I think there was definitely um, segments of the Ric Flair match that were always hallmarks. You know. Flip bump in the corner, face bump. But um, if you look at his classic matches, Vader, Sting, uh, the the Vader match 93, I think it's Starcade, And you look at, like, Sting when they went to that Broadway. And the classic Steamboat matches, none of those matches are, sa- are the same at all. I mean, they are uh-huh. – ra- Terry Funk versus Flair were radically different matches, brawling, all types of – these were all different matches. But, you know, Brett has an opinion, and who knows if their matches were always the same match. I right. mean, I, um, you know, Brett's matches were different uh, in terms of the finishes, but a lot of how he set up the, the matches were – I could make the same case for him. So, it's, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's all it's, – I can see his point, but at the same time, I don't know. When you're a writer, you're obviously part of a team, and it's, right. you're obviously not the head of the team because Vince McMahon's going to be the head of the team. Mm-hmm. But how attached to storylines do you get? I never did. Um, you you are basically paid to be a suggester in a lot of ways, and sometimes end up being a jester. But uh, <laughs> it, it's one of those things where I think you know you're trying to give Vince the best options. And when he is leaning towards an option you don't feel is good for business, it's your obligation to try to lean him towards another direction or give him other options. Mm-hmm. But he ultimately is going to make the call. I slept great at night because it wasn't my ass online. I wasn't going to lose a fortune. Vince, I don't know. You know, right. I don't know if the guy even slept. But um, <laughs> you know, I always felt like it wasn't you know my obligation to die on any hill or you know cry because he didn't like my story. It's like okay, let's be let's be dynamic enough to figure out an option that works within that demand that he has for that that creative, uh, but not be a yes man if it's if it's wrong. There were a lot of yes men there. I mean, if you ever watch House of Cards, it's like it's right. like it's like WWE, hyper political. A lot of backstabbing, a lot of betrayals, a lot of fucked up things going on, and it, it's it's a great show to watch, especially right. for in wrestling. And, wow. and most of it leads to nothing. Yeah, it's exactly. Just That's right. Politics for the sake of politics. <laughs> yeah, because all these political animals, and they're very sensitive, and they always are watching out who's going to fuck them. Right, and, and that that's also like people think, oh, they're screwing with this guy, and they're just fucking with him because uh, he got over on his own or something like that. And there's some evil Machiavellian plan. Well, a lot of times it's just incompetence. Some of the time it's political issues that someone suggested something for CM Punk, but the other guy in the writing team suggested something else, but Vince went with the first guy's idea, so the other guy is an agent and pissed off, so he's going to really put the screw in on this and just compromise it. There's, and then sometimes wrestlers do screw up, and they, get, they, they have to be punished, or they're getting phased out, and there's other things, or Vince – 
one time didn't like a wrestler because he just didn't like the way the guy looked. He didn't like he doesn't like Christian and wanted to put a blue <laughs> dot over his face and will ask production if there's a way to put a blue dot like censoring his face. Like just as if like that would be the new thing we do. I have no idea. I, it never happened because it was just so ridiculous and the production's like you know how expensive that would be to like you know put a CG dot on this guy. It's not going to happen. I mean he Vince is crazy. One time there was a writer they thought looked like an alien. It freaked him out. And it sounds insane. I know, but he literally asked the. the this guy, this alien-like guy, be taken off the writing team. It was just free. He didn't like these. Because he didn't like the way. Yeah, he and he stared at Vince or something too much or something <laughs> weird. You know, all types of quirky stuff. I mean, I always thought that the creative team was the best TV show that never is going to air on the network because it was just full of absurdity, full of politics, uh, just an eclectic mixture of guys. Back then, there was a lot of writers, uh, wrestlers on the writing team. Now, you really don't have that. Uh, when I was there, you had Ted DiBiase, Dusty Rhodes, Michael Hayes, and then like sometimes uh, Paul Heyman would would be on the writing team. Sometimes other guys would come in. We had Jimmy Jam Garvin for like a minute, <laughs> um, and it was such a shocker to see Jimmy Jam walk in. And I remember him from the Freebirds with yeah. the long curly hair and everything. And do you have any heads up that this is going to happen? Yeah, or yeah, is it yeah, just yeah. One so day you, he walks in, which is cool. It's almost like you're anticipating it, right? Um, and and like he walks in, he looks like a mini Big Show. He's like like five. He has shrunk and he has a shaved head kind of thing, and he's got a goatee, and he looks like a like the Big Show's dad. I'm like, <laughs> what happened to Jimmy Jam? He doesn't look anything like the old Jimmy Jam. But you know, we had a lot of interesting guys. Greg Gagne was on the writing team for a little bit. How so. do the wrestlers feel about you, writers? It depends on the wrestler. It depends on the writer and how they come at you. Um, it depends what kind of rapport you build, and and that can vary. It can vary from guys that just have. If you have and understand the business, you know, okay, show them respect, mm-hmm. be sensitive, even if you're going at them with a loaded gun kind of proposition that you've been told by higher-ups that you have to go with, or you're just you know, not sure how they're going to play it. You have to read the situation. You always have to read the situation, whether you're pitching events or talent or whatever. Um, some guys, like from Hollywood, that had no idea who half the guys were but were just writers that, you know, would they write like 15-page things and then give the dialogue to a Chris Jericho and he'd be like, okay, what am I – I don't understand. Um, like my, my – I don't know if this was a rib on me or like it was just – I don't know. But when I started there, the first, I was shadowing Stephanie one week. The first few weeks you shadow Vince, you shadow Steph. At least when I was there, now it's probably different. Uh, so I was shadowing Stephanie, and she wrote something for Chris Jericho. She says, would you pass this on to Chris and let me know if he has any thoughts on it? And it was like a you know two paragraph promo, right? So I go find Chris before the doors open. He's ringside sitting, talking to someone. I say, "Hey, Chris, what's up?" Um, again, this is a few weeks. I've, I've been with the company maybe two or three weeks. And I go, uh, "Stephanie has this here. She just wanted your input. Uh, it's your promo for tonight." I'm like, "This is going to be fucked up." I'm telling Chris Jericho, "Here's his promo. And it's from Stephanie. I'm at a loaded gun situation. I'm the middleman. This isn't good." And he goes, "Oh, thanks." Crumples it up, tosses it behind his back, never even looks at it. I said, All good. I'll let her know that you're reviewing it. And that's what I did. And I don't know how it was resolved. I was like, I'm not going to get between this. I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to stooge off Chris that he was like, fuck this. And I understood why you would. I would do the same thing. Right. Like, really? You're giving me stuff to write? It's one thing giving me bullet points. But you're giving me two paragraphs? Mm. Especially Chris Jericho. And I, I look now, I don't think they trust a lot of the guys like to cut promos. Look at Sting. Back when I was there, Eddie Guerrero, I mean, Vince would say, listen, Eddie has a different idea than I do. We're going to respect his idea. We're going to try it and see what happens. I don't think he has the confidence in his talent now. There's no trust there. Hmm. He has to control it to such a degree. When I was there, he would acquiesce. He'd let Undertaker do what Undertaker wanted to do. If someone had something instinctively they wanted to try, he gave him that freedom. That's not there now. That's changed. 
Huh. And that's a, a that can't be a good thing that it's changed because even even though not everybody should be able to do their own thing, it, it's at least more brains and more opinions and more people, and it man, it's going to come off more naturally right. most of the time. Well, how do you learn to bake a good cake by making some bad ones? You're not going to get it right until you figure instinctively, okay, that works, that doesn't work. I mean, that's, it's it's kind of like mad science stuff, and that's always what it's been. So when you watch TV now, right? Because you watch the show, yes. You don't. I would assume that you don't, based on the fact that you were not possessive of the storylines, but you don't sit there watching, going, "This is what they should be doing." Let me re- like rewriting from home, rebooking the territory. Yeah. No, I mean, I I'm always curious to see where they go, and I'm always rooting to see how things play out. I want to see them successful. Yeah. Um, the fan in me, you know, I, I had to, I had to take some time away after I got away from rest from WWE to just check, you know, just kind of check out, detox, get back in it. But once I got back in, I was like, you know, I want to see these guys blow up. I want to see Dolph Ziggler realize that potential, and the clock is ticking. He's not tw- in his twenties; he's in his mid thirties now. Mm-hmm. It's like almost to the point where it's like it's just not going to happen. He is what he is. Unfortunately, they're not going to slot him any higher. Um, Daniel Bryan's another case, and so it's like. I'm always curious to see how they, they, they do things. I tend to think they a lot of the time overthink things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes wrestling is, is at its best when it's simple. And it's all about just building anticipation. It's that collision course. Wrestler A versus wrestler B and building the Macho Man's Hogan, classic example, building a collision course. Right. Then they collided. You paid to see them collide. It's that easy. And I think sometimes they get a little too – like the sink thing. Again, that was just like overthought. I mean right. like there was no reason to go – Like let's just say it's Triple H's thing. Right. You know, but it's it's funny too. It's like, do you remember anything Sting said from that? I just remember trying to figure out whose voice is that. Is that his yeah. voice? It was like it got so distracting that it's like it took away from the impact. Yeah, no, I enjoyed the segment at the pay per view at Fastlane. Right, I thought that was good. Simple, clean. Yeah, it was like Sledgehammer versus Bat. I can get behind <laughs> that. I understand. Right. This makes sense. Two legends. Never seen this before. Right. Never see it again. We've heard that before, but mm-hmm. you know, I get this. Right. And then, yeah, when it got to, like, the prepackaged thing with the unfamiliar voice, it was like, ah. Is that Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs? <laughs> I was waiting for him to say it puts the lotion in the basket. I don't know where this is going. So when was the last time you watched going, like, yep, this is it. They're doing what they should be doing. Well, I mean, what exact moment? I don't know. But I, when I saw the build of the shield, I was like, man, they're they are clicking here. This, yeah. is, this, is, this is lights out stuff. Uh, I thought they were – CM Punk Money in the Bank go back to 2011. I mean, that started out brilliantly, and then it was a fast burn. Which but was that whole show, like that moment, because mm-hmm. that's also the show that Daniel Bryan won the Money right. in the Bank briefcase. Yep. So I'll never. I mean, that show. I think WrestleMania 30 last year was a really great WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. But I think probably Money in the Bank 2011 and WrestleMania 30 are the two best pay per views of the last. I don't know how many years. Well, that's the thing. Now it's become so disposable. The content's become very disposable, which mm-hmm. is a slippery slope because they're pumping out so much stuff. Yeah. Whereas you look back years ago when things were slower, you could remember all the moments, even the trigger points for each angle. Now every week, how many angles are competing with angles on a three-hour Raw, which, again, speaks to the format issue. It's like they're all becoming so watered down and lack that punch that they used to have because used to watch back in the day and there'd be one angle. And that was like you'd leave that one hour of watching WWF Superstars or the hour of Raw and be like, wow, remember that one thing? And that's all you could remember for one week. And I think that's why NXT is doing so well now because, number one, I mean the talent's uh, unimaginably good. They're doing really great writing shows. Right. But it's one hour of TV a week. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I hope Kevin Owens wrestles this week. Right. And sometimes he doesn't. Right. 
because it's one, it's one hour a week. What are you going to do? And, and that, yeah, people are overexposed. It's easy to fall into. It's easy to catch up on and binge view because it's very quick. You know, yeah. I mean, I could miss a month and but it's quick to follow up. It's on. almost like, what can they do? I don't think they can go back to doing an NXT formatted show. As soon as, once Raw became a ratings driven show, not right. a place to sell tickets to the right. live events but like the end game here is to get ratings for the tv people got used to a certain thing and you can't really downgrade now we just have to evolve and i know vince has said the products evolved but i don't think it has i don't think it has a, i don't think it really has at all i think it's been it's a more watered down version of what it once was um, but you have to re- look at how you can make a more contemporary product how do you do that how do you, you just new day on the job how do we address this mm-hmm. um I don't think ever going backwards is a good idea. Sampling from the past is always good. If you're rooted in strong fundamentals, you can build off of that foundation. But you never should try to say, hey, it should be, it should be how, how it used to be. Um, you can take components of that and more action, less talking. Sure, I'm down with that. All a bunch of prelim matches and squash matches, that would never exist. But if you look today, basically what you have is your prelim wrestlers or jobbers or like guys like Fandango who – just have more, a little bit more character development and they tour, but they're basically slotted in that same role, right? right? They just have music. They're not in the ring. They don't, you know, they're not the Italian stallion or whatever they were called back in the day. Kurt Hawkins gimmick for a while. Right. And it's just like, I mean, I don't think anyone wants to be slotted in that role. And there's a lot of underdog heroes and all that stuff that, you know, the internet world and wrestling fans root for. But um, that's basically, now you have a traveling circus with those undercard guys playing the role of prelims. Who did you work with creatively that you clicked well with that we might know? Not, you know, writer-writers, but in terms of whether it was a, a former talent or whatever. Right. Um, Ray Mysterio, really had a good time with him. Um, Umaga, who was... Amazing. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I loved Umaga. And coming up through the Samoan family, knowing him from... Almost day one, uh, being able to work with him, collaborate, and come up with that character with him, like in within forty eight hours. Really? Uh, yeah, we came up with that within forty eight hours, right before WrestleMania twenty two. Uh, I was told when I was going to the airport. Uh, Vince wants to start this guy instead of a, um, a three minute warning. They were going to reboot three minute warning, just bring him back and give him you know a new gimmick or whatever. He said he's, he's main event material. Vince wants an idea, and you're, you're going to need to pitch it to him before WrestleMania 22 because we want to launch him right after WrestleMania, maybe that Raw. I'm like, oh, God, what do we do? A new character. So, so you're not just writing TV. You're in character development. Right, yeah. and, and you're coming up with a character. And so we, I, I got on the phone with Eki um, Umaga, and we just started to just spitball. And I love the idea of kind of taking the old school, which was the wild Samoan look with the gear and everything. But then he had like the the, the, the uh, piece in his mouth while blinged out and stuff. And yeah, just and the braids. Yeah, the braids to like give it a new flavor. And we came up with a name. We did research. I'm googling all these different names. He's you know he's figuring out what what he feels is right for his name. Uh, we we tried a lot of different things in that 48 hour period. And even who's going to be his talk? He didn't want to talk. So who do you talk? Who, who does the talking? And so we said, you know, we, I tried to get Gary Hart to do it, who <laughs> was my mentor and managed Terry Funk, Gary yeah. Hart, uh, great Muda back in the day, a brilliant wrestling mind, um, who actually passed away seven years ago to this day. Wow. Um, on a, but I tried to get him on the creative team at certain points. He wouldn't do it because he had heard my stories. And <laughs> he's like, I'm smarter than that, man. Don't try to calm me into this. Uh, but he wouldn't go back. He just didn't want to take bumps in his 60s. And I got that. But 
Uh, we settled on uh, Armando Estrada, who was fantastic. Yeah, for he was. Young, ready for the role. He was just perfect. I think we could have done a lot with that. But um, Umaga almost got slotted as, like, the muscle for this drug cartel angle that they were going to do. Really? And that 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 – that thankfully never came to fruition. Yeah, um, because I think that would have been really disappointing and wouldn't have been a bad, wouldn't have been a great use for him. But well, I mean, Umaga, I remember in that era was like one of the first in a long time leading up to that that like I watched that as a fan going, right. this is special. Like this is a right. different, right? This is way different, and that's like like any time mm-hmm. he was on TV. And I think that I mean, as you're talking, I'm just kind of putting the pieces together, and you're right about figuring out what worked in the past and evolving to get there because if you look at it umaga is kamala Mm -hmm. but kamala as we knew him in the 80s and early 90s is completely irrelevant now oh god but if you make him that that's what umaga is Mm -hmm. it's a a kamala that we can believe today right and and he had that physicality of like a big van vader yes he just pummel the hell out of you and it looked real it felt real and because that aggression because you're not going to be a big guy that can do two moves just doesn't work anymore no it's it's just gonna you're gonna it's gonna get crapped on uh and he the other thing is how do you set them in motion which today you look at how these guys from nxc are coming up and do they have a a, a three-stage plan introduction setting him up to be a player and then the first big money feud and you look at most of these guys come from nxc there's no foresight into that whereas with umaga and every guy gets introduced differently maybe it's vignettes sometimes it's a big impact sometimes he's introduced as part of a money angle and you want like the shield as an example now right. really right from the jump they were they were right there and umaga rushed rick flair and was violent mm-hmm. and you knew this guy was for real he wasn't being soft with the legend he was laying it in there and he knew this guy knows okay this is my one moment yep like this is my moment to make this character yeah. work and and Flair has got to be you got to think of that as a blessing because mm-hmm. Flair is one of the guys that could take that and he understands like yeah and this he's very is, generous yeah he's very generous and a lot of legends or guys that well why would I give him this guy I don't know this guy he, he had no background with the Samoans really or Umaga it's like I'm gonna let this guy who was a tag team guy come back and just run over me just plow me yeah but Rick is very generous and if you look at his whole career he's been very generous and uh, that's one of the, that's his legacy in a lot of ways that I think gets overlooked is how generous he's been um, you could say a lot about his you know he's conducted himself professionally and in his personal life but if you look at that aspect he's very, one of the most generous top stars there's ever been uh, but Umaga he was he was special and uh, that was I mean just vibing on on the creative for that with with him was one of the most special things because I was with him when he got fired. Uh, from WWE, and he actually worked for me on the Indies. I had a company called MLW, and that was like his lowest point because he was working for me. No, uh, <laughs> because he was he was just like he had he was so close to it. He was he was there really. He was he knew he was about to break out, and he, yeah. was, wishing, he was wishing he would get the call, just another shot for a do over, and he did, and he made a lot out of it. And uh, he was just it's he he left us before it was just too soon, man. And uh, he had his demons, but. An amazing talent that, if he was around today, would be a major player still. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, we could do this all day, but mm. you'll have to come back and definitely chat wrestling uh, again here on the podcast. But I mean, we talked a little bit about what's going on right now with mm-hmm. WrestleMania and everything. Yeah. Russell, you're going to be out there mm-hmm. for WrestleMania weekend. Yeah. I will be too. I'll be out there with Katie Lindendahl, who's been on the podcast before, doing mm-hmm. a bunch of interviews for Radio Row and. 
going all over the place. So it's who a, knows exactly? It's a crazy week. It's, it's so great. It's like we're going out there Thursday. We're leaving right. on Monday, and it's like there's a couple plans. Mm-hmm. But you know, you just go up, you bring your recorder, and it's like we'll see where this thing takes us because literally everyone you can imagine is in town. You just mentioned that you worked well with Rey Mysterio, mm-hmm. and you got Rey Mysterio on on your WrestleMania yes. show. Yeah, well, Wale, the Grammy nominated rapper, Wale will be eventually on this <laughs> podcast if I can keep him in New York for any yes. Period. The I got to tell you, I mean, for those of you that don't know. I like to find – because a lot of people say they're wrestling fans, and then it's like, oh, okay, you're that kind of right. – like Action Bronson. Mm-hmm. I love Action Bronson. I don't know if I would have him on the wrestling podcast because he likes certain things about wrestling, but he's not going to sit down and have a conversation right. about wrestling. He's old school too. Right, right. He likes Stone Cold. He likes the Attitude Era. Like, that's fine. Wale sent me a text probably in like August or something. <laughs> it was months ago. Right. And he goes – Yo, dude, I'll bet you got the ill bookings. What would you do between now and WrestleMania? And he just, Wale, like one of the biggest rappers there is, wanted to know just what I would right. book from now until WrestleMania. Just a pure curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this dude is a for real yeah. pro wrestling fan. And he's not just a WWE fan. He was like live texting me when he was watching New Japan Wrestle Kingdom. And so he was just <laughs> like, he's into everything. He's like, oh, Nakamura is dripping with swag. Oh, my God. Like, I would love to see this guy over here more. And, and he is. Nakamura yeah. is yeah. accurately dripping with swag. <laughs> yeah, he absolutely is. And he watches, like, guys like Uha Nation on the Indies. Uh-huh. I mean, he's, like, dialed in on every level. Like, the fact that, like, we're doing Wally Mania on, on uh, March 26th at the Ta- uh, Taste Nightclub in Santa, Santa Clara. He's so excited that Dave Meltzer is going to be in the house. <laughs> He's like, yo, when Dave's up there doing the fan Q&A, can I get up there and, like, hit it, you know, kick it with him? And I'm like, dude, go for it. Like, that's all good. I mean, like, he's such – he's, like, marking out for meeting Dave Meltzer. Like, that's how big it means to right. him. So, yeah, he's a I huge mean, fan. The first time I met him, I was like, oh, shit, that's Wale. I got to mm-hmm. go say hi to this dude. And before I could say hi to him, he said hi to me, like, yo, dude, I see you on Countdown. You're doing mm-hmm. it big. You're doing it big. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, no, he's, he's, he's a real good dude. He's awesome. A real good dude. And, uh, you know, it's, it's cool to work with him on this thing, too, because he's, like, collaborating, like, a week ago with, in Paris with Kanye. Mm-hmm. And then I'm getting texts about Wale Mania. Like, okay, so what are we doing between this point and this point in the night? I'm like, all right, this is what we're doing. This is what's going on. He's like, oh, what if we did this? And we're, like, you know, like, basically working out logistics for Wale Mania. Well, oh, hang on. In, Jerry Seinfeld yeah, from the other Yeah, line. hold on. Wait, Kanye West Kanye's is over here. here. And I'm like, oh, my. It's not like his name drops. It's not like that. But he's just he's so busy with so many other amazing people. I'm yeah. like, wow, to have time to do this Wally Mania thing, it's really awesome. But it's going to be a really cool, crazy night. It's, I was talking to, uh, I'll name drop, MVP, who I think is going to be out for the event. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so what is Wally Mania? Ray told me a little bit about it, but what is it? I'm like, well, it's like, imagine being able to be a fan and go to a nightclub where all the wrestlers are hanging out, busting each other's balls, telling good stories, and you get to talk to them, you get to party with them. And then, oh, yeah, Wale's going to finish off the night with, like, basically lay down a set. Oh, well, that's a pretty <laughs> crazy night. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. There's a meet and greet with Rey Mysterio with autographs and all that stuff. And there's, we're going to have, like, for the VIP uh, ticket holders, like, complimentary tequila that's sponsored by Don Julio and the VR Derves. It's like a classy, crazy event. Yeah. And so it's like an all night thing. And, and you're interviewing Rey Mysterio there, right? Yeah. We're going to interview Rey. He's going to kind of break his silence and talk about his journey from WWE to what's next and why he's leaving or he left WWE. And his whole career, Conan, who basically discovered him when he was yeah. a teenager in Tijuana, will be up there talking with him too. Dave Meltzer, some surprise guests that we're working 
Town will be up there. Um, and then the fans are going to be able to ask questions with, you know, whatever they want. No holds barred questions with Rey Mysterio or ourselves. So you'll have, you know, ex-WWE writers up there. You have guys that are booking AAA, part of Lucha Underground. You have Ray, Dave Meltzer, uh, some surprise guests. So you just, it's going to be a wild night. And again, after that live podcast, then there's an after party, which is going to be crazy, uh, where all the wrestlers will just hang and probably be savages. And then Wale is going to perform. <laughs> so it's just like... It starts literally at 6.30 and goes until closing, which is like 1 a.m. So there's, yeah. gonna, there's something for everyone this night. So if, if you're into like just wanting the podcast vibe, you can just kick it and do that. If you want to party, there's that. If you want to hear Wale, there's that. There's like a million different things going on. I was so happy when I found out that it started early because mm-hmm. the next morning is Radio Row. Right. So I have to be at Access at 6 a.m. Oh, my God. On Friday. But I'm still like, I can't not go to Wally Mania. <laughs> like, how can I not go? Uh, I know. That's the thing. It's like, it's, it's, it's like all night. So there's something for everyone. If you can't stay up the whole night, I get that. Like, I have to go the next morning. I just got a call from Jim Ross. I produce his one man show, too. Right. He's got the show on Saturday in San Jose, which is right next to Santa Clara. And he's like, You're going to be ready Friday morning? I was like, Why? He's like, We got radio to do in San Francisco. I'm like, I'm not sleeping Thursday. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to go right from Wally Mania to get in the car. Jim Ross, who actually might be at Wally Mania, he just told me, which is awesome. <laughs> I want Jim Ross at Wally Mania crowd surfing when Wally's playing. It's the only I, way to do it. I, I want him up there. Get me down. Well, where can people get tickets? They can go to MLWlive.com or they can go to the ticketgroup.com or WalleMania.com. So MLWlive.com. And tickets start at just $15. It's a really good deal. And, of course, MLWlive.com also has all your podcasts, right? MLWradio.com. MLWradio.com. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can go over there for tickets, too. There's a big splash page with all that stuff. Cool. And you do your podcast with Conan regularly, right? Yep. Conan and I do a podcast every Sunday. Jim Cornette does a podcast every Thursday. We have Fridays with Kevin Sullivan where he reviews WCW booking from the 90s, which is amazing. (laughs) And Florida Wrestling. Yeah, it's a really badass show. He's going chronologically. So he's like in 1996 early 96 it goes week to week with nitro and then he'll do a pay-per-view or a clash he'll explain okay this guy just came in what was the backstory behind why you wanted that guy as the booker for wcw and what happened with that guy why did he just disappear into thin air and all that so you so basically uh mr st laurent who's his co-host picks his brain because he's a huge wcw fan and ask him every question about WCW. It's just a geek stream. Oh, it really is. And then if that's not your thing, New Japan has a show with the Bullet Club on Saturdays with Carl Anderson, oh, Doc yeah. Gallows, Talking Shop. It's yeah. a crazy show. Young Bucks are always on there. Machine so, Gun's been on this show before. Yes. I've talked many times about it. It's one of the few podcasts where they have had to delete shows. Oh, yeah. I, because... Oh, yeah. They'll send me stuff and be like, dude, wait, we can't air that. Forget it. Just delete it. We're sending you a new one right away. Everyone's uncomfortable about that air. I'm like, what happened? I Now i got to really hear that. And there's like one or two that I... I saved because i'm convinced i can get them to put it on the air because they're just insane but their show is a fun show i wish carl anderson had more exposure in the u.s he's such a talented dude yeah i get just watching him I, i'm now on the uh string of texts that he sends to people when he just decides to cut promos <laughs> about Bud Light Lime in his yeah. house. Uh, and uh, I'm just like, if this guy can get me this hyped up about B-double-Ls. Oh, yeah. No, he's he's really – but, you know, the funny thing is he found life after WWE because he had a tryout in 08, and he just, the vibe wasn't there for him. He was just like, this is weird. This isn't my thing. And he got the call while he was at WWE at the arena. For New Japan, and he was like, "I'm out of here." He actually no showed wow. his second. I think he no showed his second tryout match and just bolted for New Japan. That's and that, he never looked back. And you know what? I look at Gallows. That guy should. He was signed when I was there and was in Deep South Wrestling, which was a disaster run by Bill DeMott and company down in Atlanta. 
And that guy moved on from developmental purgatory and doing a few crap runs like with Kane and Fake Kane and Festus. And he was so talented. I saw the potential there. The guy mm-hmm. was an amazing promo when they hired him, a great get. But they squandered that opportunity. And now he's in New Japan, and he's badass as a tag yeah. team guy. Same thing with AJ Styles, a guy I wish he had gone to New Japan 10 years earlier instead of you know, just being in TNA where they slotted him as the fake nature boy, and the, you know, they made him like a Raven anti-authority character briefly. It was like, come on. But now he's the man out there. So it's nice to see these guys realize their their potential mm-hmm. and be utilized the right way, which you know it's great to have alternatives. And Rey Mysterio is going to have that with Lucha, uh, maybe a Lucha Underground and AAA. And Alberto Del Rio's found success after WWE. He's having the time of his life. He might do MMA and kickboxing. So there is stuff out there. It's just you got to look at the whole world. It's a different. It's not quite as. From here to there no. to there to here. And it's not as it's as much as like, oh, there was WCW and then there's WWF. I mean, it's a little bit different, but there's definitely life after WWE if you so choose or alternatives to go into WWE. It's a different lifestyle. It's a different type of schedule. You're away in different periods of time, but it's definitely rewarding. You talk to these guys in New Japan, they're having the time of their life. Are you going to WrestleMania or do you not go to WWE shows? Um, I'm trying to avoid going because I always, I was just brought up by the Samoans and Gary Hart to like, you only go to shows that you're booked at yeah. or you look like you want a job or something, but live nation who's, uh, participating and partnering with us on the, um, Wally. Wally mania, um, offered up a suite. And so I'm like, huh, a suite. Right. You could be away from everybody. Man, you could I, watch I, the show. I, just, I was like, well, that's pretty, like, I get free food. I yeah. can maybe get talked into this. So it's, it's up in the air still. I might do it. Um, but I, uh, I don't know yet. But I, I'll definitely be there um, just checking out a lot of things that weekend. I don't know what I'm going to have time to do. But yeah. I, I'm looking forward to checking out a lot of stuff. It's, it's endless. There's a well, lot of stuff that weekend. If you're, in Russell, if you're there for WrestleMania, make sure you check out Wale Mania. Mm-hmm. Check out the JR show. Those are yeah. always a blast. And uh, – Yeah, man. Thanks for hanging out, Court. Anytime, man. Love it here at the Westchester Studios. (laughs) Here is Sam Roberts. An hour and a half this week almost. I feel like a very undisciplined broadcaster. Well, that's not going to stay. We stick to an hour or so. Don't forget to go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. That's ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. You can get your own Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast t-shirt or What's the Haps t-shirt. Whatever you want. Get them there. Wear them to WrestleMania. Hopefully, I'll see you around. Uh, But before WrestleMania, we'll have one more podcast next week. Until then, goodbye. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Follow at MilkSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.